Welcome to the e-commerce growth show brought to you by Segmentify, the fast, lean learning machine, the fastest learning, most revenue generating personalization platform for e-commerce. Well, hello there, guys. Welcome to the e-commerce growth show. This is the show. It's all about helping e-commerce retailers grow their revenue either directly via tech agency or other solutions, or indirectly actually through personal development. Today, I have the pleasure of introducing you to Simon Homant, who is the e-commerce director at Rakuten. And he is gonna share with us some of the insight that he got into the key ingredients of e-commerce growth. So pretty on point, I think. He is a direct-to-consumer expert who has successfully grown e-commerce companies in the UK, Europe, and Australia over the past 20 years. So I'm really excited to talk to him. Hey, Simon. Hi, Phil, how are you? I'm good, thanks. Um, just to sort of open up, you mentioned you had a pretty varied, colorful career history. I mean, how, how did that come about? Yeah, so I, I joined um, Play.com back in 2001, which seems like a very long time ago now, but really in the, in the very infancy of, of e-commerce as a shopping channel. So um, I, I met with the founders of the company uh, and they talked a little bit about what they were looking for. My background was a, was a buyer and they wanted somebody to come in and manage uh, supplier relationships, manage the purchasing cycles, but quite an analytical commercial um, a, a role to go with all of the, the other guys they already had there doing tech and operations. And actually, sure. I, was, I was employee number 10. So uh, wow. you know, very, very, very early days of the company. And then yeah. um, the idea that the founders had, the very entrepreneurial guys, they'd set up some other companies previously. Um, and their idea was that they, they saw the opportunity for, to transition mail order into e-commerce. And they were right. looking at um, packaged entertainment goods that would fit in a jiffy bag and go through your letterbox, basically. So that was the, that was the, yeah. the kind of core uh, mission of the company. And yeah. e-commerce being the, the vehicle to deliver that rather than mail order, yeah. which you'd had in the 1990s. So... Uh, fr yeah. From that acorn of an idea, they put a team together, which like myself, and then as time went on, uh, more specialists in terms of digital marketing and supply chain and uh, and yeah. technology, and built a yeah. business which phenomenal. You know, in a few years after that, was doing hundreds of millions of pounds a year and yeah, disrupted the market completely, upset a lot of competitors. You know, um, sure. but kind was of set a, a like, benchmark for. for it, was it a bit like um, Love Film? That kind of. Well, it was a little bit. Love Film was a was a, a movie rental service that would come through the post, and then you would post it back again. Yeah, I um, play Play was very much you, you know you buy it and you own it, so it's yours. Oh, it's your blockbuster type model. Yeah, exactly. It's all focused around um, entertainment type products that, when you received them through your letterbox, you'd be really happy that it turned up. You know, it wasn't boring yeah. old stuff. It was movies yeah. and video games and CDs and those kind of things. Uh -huh. So. Uh, so anyway, I was there. All in all, I was there for about eleven years um, through through enormous growth through that business, which, which you know we'll come on to that in a bit, I guess. But then um, yeah. after about eleven years, I was approached then by the founders of um, Rakuten TV, which a couple of uh, Spanish guys, again very yeah. entrepreneurial guys that had another great idea about um, video streaming over the internet. So nowadays, you know, we, we take it as granted that, you know, we've got Netflix and we've got Disney Plus and we've got these other brilliant services. They, they were there from the, the beginning of the sort of 2010s with this same idea uh, and really trying to get ahead of the market there. So the business was only available in Spain and they came to me and said, 
we we want to launch in the UK. Um, you know, you've you've got this great record. We've heard some good things about you. You know, can you come and do that for us? And of course, I was delighted to make that transition into what was a you know really really exciting market. Uh, and after launching the UK, well, um, the business then wanted to expand across into the rest of Europe. So my role then became European to roll out the business into different territories around mainly Western Europe and, and grow that business to, again, what, is, what has gone on to become a fantastically successful uh, video streaming service. So after about five years there, I was then approached by uh, the new chief exec of a company based down in Australia who were a, a B2B um, lifestyle products company, didn't have a direct consumer channel and wanted to open one up, first of all, in, in Australia and then and then roll that out internationally. So the chief exec came to me. He, he knew me a little bit from my background and said, Look, you know, again, great experience. You know, you've built businesses before. Can you come and do it for me? Um, and, and again, it seemed like a great opportunity for me to, to, to go ahead and do that. So I had some time down there and did a, did a fantastic job, I think, with the numbers growing that business. And that kind of brings us to where we are. Wow. Sounds pretty. You must have learned some amazing stuff on the way. It's so what a hell we, of a journey, trying, yeah. Yeah, I know, completely. I was just saying it might be really cool to sort of bottle that down into a, a few a few pointers for our listeners. You know, what what would you say from your experience were the main ingredients, you know, to uh, establishing that e-commerce growth and, and why that ingredient or ingredients were so critical? Yeah, well, I think that if I was to pick one thing across that, that was yeah. kind of consistent across everything, it's really around data um, and making sure that, you know, the as a business that you're um, gathering and analyzing and using data in whichever area of the business that you're working in. So when if I go back to the very start of Play.com, there really wasn't any data. You know, you knew how much you had in the warehouse and you knew how much you'd sold and that was about it. Um, and it was during that period of time, you know, once you get into the sort of mid 2000s, that tools yeah. like Google Analytics were coming along. And when you could mm -hmm. suddenly start to understand, you know, where were people visiting uh, on around your platform? How were they getting to your platform in the first place? Starting to build a database of um, customer yeah. shopping behavior and how could you manipulate that in your CRM strategy and those kind of things. By the mm -hmm. time I'd then gone to Rakuten, um, everything had, had really kind of cranked up a notch. So that that business is available across pretty much any internet-connected device you can think of. And what that means is there's just an absolute mass of data, whether it's on a smart TV or an Xbox or an iPad. There's all yeah. this data about how yeah. customers are acquired, what do yeah. they do when they're on the platform, and then, of course, you've got your, your other internal data about what are they buying, how frequently are they visiting, how much do they spend, what's their lifetime value. There's just so much data and I think, yeah. you know, without really having a grip and an understanding of, of the different types of data that you can get, it's very, very difficult to, to grow in a, in a sustainable manner. Yeah, no, I agree, man. I mean, it's interesting because I, I worked actually for a company that was um, heavily involved in media. Um, and obviously the thing that I, I remember was that the, the richness of the data that, you know, is available in platforms like Rakuten or uh, in kind of, um, you know, video on demand or, or things like that is that obviously everyone's logged in, right? You know, and all the data is being captured cross device, you know, incredible. And yeah. obviously you, you kind of work in the e-commerce sort of world and you've then got an extra level of complexity because you've got the the users and then you've got obviously the anon, the anon ID users, the people. So I suppose you've got a double whammy in terms of trying to, you know, get that data, decipher it and then work out what to do with it. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think also as well, just just thinking about, you you know, you're talking about non-identified customers. That was a, a big, yeah. a big um, area because what you would have is an enormous amount of visitors. Um, I would call them visitors rather than customers because they come yeah. and have a look, but they yeah. wouldn't necessarily create an account or they wouldn't necessarily log in. So sure. one of the key things that in order to really kind of capture that data and and put that person, that visitor into one of our segments it was very, we, we worked a lot on landing pages and customer journeys to say, look, if you visit the platform, we want to send you down this particular journey to then um, go into this landing page. And this landing page is going to ask you for, you know, your email address. And actually, what was really critical in terms of converting that visitor into a paying customer was capturing yeah. things like credit card data. And we would we would statistically look at it very, very granularly um, to say what happens to a customer that, or a visitor that doesn't fill that information in versus a visitor that does in terms of yeah. the likelihood that they go on to become a paying customer. So it's really, really yeah. granular level of detail, kind yeah. of A-B testing the landing pages and, and really yeah. doing everything that you can to, to yeah. make tweaks to that journey to, to get them to become a, a new paying customer. Yeah. And then after that, obviously, they, they then move into the, the kind of what we used to call existing user groups yeah. and all yeah. the various segments that we had created for those. Absolutely. Yeah. And you're just talking, you're touching on obviously so many things there, which I expect now are kind of bread and butter, right? For, for, for e-commerce directors all over the, all over the world um, in terms of, you know, making sure that they're testing and um, putting technology in to try and maximize that, you know, move to the paying customer and uh, making sure that they can, you know, give their details to you, become loyal, loyal users. Yeah. You know, this, so, I mean, this is, I mean, I mean similar to, Play.com. So, you know, the example we're talking yeah. about here, we, 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 in terms of time, we're talking about 2012, 2013, when, yeah. it, when it wasn't so common um, to do those kind of things. Similar to when I was at Play, yeah. you know, there was no blueprint yeah. or rule book as yeah. to how, how to yeah. how to run an e-commerce business. It was the case <laughs> that, you, you know, you had yeah. your great idea for what your business was going to be. You had a yeah. team together of people and then suddenly you've just got you've got this massive yeah. numbers and yeah. how do you take that to your advantage? So, um, yeah, lo lots and lots of different ways we would slice and dice either customer data, marketing data, the platform yeah. data uh, to, to continually try to just optimize every aspect of the business. So were you doing that manually then? I mean, if there wasn't much tech around back then, what were you doing? Was it all in a massive spreadsheet? <laughs> well, yeah, actually, in, in the first instances, it was. I mean, there was a, there was just a big old database and we just used to, m myself and there was the, the marketing director and the BI director um, who were like a crack commercial team who would yeah. kind of say, well, okay, give me a dump of the data and then I'll put my Excel skills to use and manipulate yeah. it. Obviously, once once that started to bear fruit and, and this kind of process of using data to, to grow the business in that way um, became more and more um, prominent, then the tools started to come and, you know, some Power BI and some Tableau and, and some other bits yeah. and pieces like that yeah, yeah. To, to, yeah. to make it more efficient to manipulate that kind of data. I think one thing yeah. I would say as well is that, you know, you have to be very careful not to spend time looking at, at, at data that isn't useful. Just because yeah, it's right. there doesn't mean you have to use it. You know, I think it, yeah. it comes down to what is your strategy and what is it you want to get out of it, and and then you know know that yeah. very very well. Yeah, no, absolutely, and I mean um, that's one of the great things about Segmentify actually is that um, they they've done a great job of actually boiling down all of the massive amount of data available on GA and you know other sources, and basically all the granular data that goes through Segmentify at a transaction level. 
um, already gets rolled up to what they call this Trendify reporting product, yeah. which basically means, you know, what are your rockstar products? So rather than you, like you just said, have to sort of filter through, you know, all the transactions to try and understand that, you know, Segmentify is actually presenting you with a, a dashboard that's saying, right, here's your rock stars, here's the guys that you're looking at, but you're not converting them. So what are you going to do about it? Yeah. You know, here's your here's your discounted products that aren't getting bought, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And there's yeah. a whole 15 of them or something, which apparently, you know, the e-commerce managers and directors are sort of saying, wow, this is like basically all the work we have to do to try and slice and dice all this stuff is just basically lay on a plate to it, crack on. You know? It is phenomenal. And, you know, having come from a background where it was very much hands-on because the, those tools yeah. didn't exist and having to, yeah. you know, just kind of figure out in your head what is it you want to do and then go off and do it. To now see tools yeah. like yours coming to the market is, is an absolute breath of fresh air and you think how much you know time resource wastage is saved by yeah. by you know really kind of laying out that brief in the first place as to what you want and then getting it delivered to you on a plate definitely man i mean like like we're saying i mean i said in the last episode it, you know it's it's all about core activity and we've all got a massive amount of workload and all the stuff you're talking about here around data and especially your point about not wasting your time looking at data that you don't you don't need to look at yeah you know um it's incredibly important isn't it you can you can basically make your job as streamlined as possible to concentrate on the core stuff and then the other stuff hopefully is already covered off with things like trendify or whatever else out there tableau etc you know that kind of do that stuff for you yeah and um, i think as well i'll just add you know you, you say about you know your own particular job but actually once you have to then feed that out to your team and, and make yeah. things very clear and simple to them about, you know, this is what we're looking at. These are our targets. This is why they're our targets. And these are the, the individual kind of levers that you as a person within this team can pull to, yeah. to improve that particular KPI over there. I think it makes it so much um, clearer to the rest of the team as to how can they, you know, positively influence the outcome of the, the not just the, their team, but the overall company as well. Mm. No, absolutely. No, completely. I mean, you mentioned about, I'm quite interested in the merchandising side of it because Segmentify is um, going to be um, building out their current search functionality, that, which is like a widget, a widget-based search tool, personalized widget. We're going to pull that out and, and turn it into a more of a search and merch type solution. Have you had much um, experience about the actual kind of personalized merchandising around these sort of data and, and metrics at all? So at, um, at Rakuten TV, we'd, we'd start getting into personalization because bearing in yeah. mind, you know, this is a, this is a uh, kind of movies and TV shows platform that's got thousands and thousands of, yeah. of products on it, you know, thousands yeah. of movies and the, and the posters of the movies that you see. Um, yeah. So, you know, not every customer wants to see the same thing. I mean, bearing in mind, yeah. you know, we're, we're talking about millions and millions of customers all around Europe for this business. Yeah. Um, but the, the ideal situation is that each customer that comes along sees products that are, you know, that are, we are recommending to them um, yeah. based on things that either they've done before or people who match their profile have then gone on to do that they haven't yet done. Um, yeah, exactly. Exactly. In, in, when, I, when I joined the business there, we didn't have any of those kind of tools. You know, it was very much a kind of an editorial voice that led the merchandising yeah. strategy. And it was, you know, it was pretty much... Yeah everybody's just going to like these movies because it's the best that we can show you know everybody at the same time but that moved quite quickly on and again lots and lots of testing and uh, testing of algorithms testing of the actual placement of the recommendations lists on the on the platform itself on the emails and so on um but the but the the gains that you see in terms of the conversion rates and the repeat business that comes 
from the customers that have that more personalized recommendation was was mm. phenomenal yeah once again coming yeah. back to the data once you actually see it in numbers it was it's yeah. phenomenal and you and then you sort of think well why doesn't everybody already do this absolutely and that's a really really important point because when i found again at segmentify was that the, the way in which they built the algorithms and this is really really exciting actually because segmentify didn't come to market until 2015 so we've had the the hindsight if you like of the industry having developed from earlier platforms and so you mentioned something earlier on around if if you know phil k's profile and you know what other profiles like phil k watched then you can actually take the end of my customer journey and bring it to the beginning of my customer journey yeah. to improve conversion right that is amazing and the interesting thing is that's exactly what segmentify does and because I, I, I turned around to my boss quite early on when i joined the company i said how come we keep like I'm not being, I'm not blowing smoke here. I'm just being, I'm just being honest. I, I, I said to him, how can we keep winning in all of our AB split tests against leading competitive products? And basically it boiled down to two things. The speed of it, the speed at which it learns and the speed at which it presents back. And then secondly, it's this split between the product journey and the behavior and keeping them separate and feeding them together as two engines, right? So if I know that Simon is looking at um, a certain type of shirt with certain size, I'm not just going to bring back kind of recently viewed and popular products into the widget that's there. I'm going to look at what you just said, almost like Simon's profile, and say, actually, when someone like Simon looked at that product, this is what ended up getting bought. And so I'm going to bring that product that ended up getting bought as part of the recommendations to come back to the early part of the journey. So we're trying to finish that journey super quick in session within 30 minutes of being on that website. Yeah. And that basically was the two ingredients that when we do our split test, why we keep winning. And that was for me, it's like a gobsmacking moment because I was like, wow, this is amazing. Yeah. I mean, and, and you know, you're, you're, you're helping the customer really to, to be happier. You know, you're helping them yeah. to find something faster and then yeah. they can go on and get on with the rest of their day. And they think, well, actually, that was a great experience I had transacting on that website because they already knew what I wanted. And I didn't yeah. have to trawl through 50 pages of things that, you know, weren't in my yeah. size or weren't similar to things I, you know, that I, they can see that I have in my wardrobe. And, yeah. and then, therefore, I'm going to stick to this website and I'm going to come back. Yeah, no, completely. I mean, just moving on from, from the actual side of the data side of things and then moving into like, how you analyze it um what what sort of examples of actual data analysis can you share that you think worked really well i think there was one example i touched on a little bit earlier on and, it, and this is where um thinking of uh acquiring new customers and growing your customer base um yeah. now you know especially businesses that are growing very fast think i just need more and more customers you know i just need to get this customer number up once I've got a large database of people, then I can start to talk to them and I can start to get some repeat business and so on. But right. one of the things that, that I learned, you know, both at Play and at, and at Rakuten as well, is that, you know, volume of customers is not the goal. You know, it's volume of quality right. customers that's the goal. Yeah, so something at, at Rakuten TV in particular, I worked very closely with the, the marketing director there. And something that was a really big kind of KPI was the, yeah. the customer acquisition cost. Um, yeah, because in, in the world of smart TVs yeah. in particular, it, it was it's very, very expensive to acquire a new customer. Um, 
so yeah. you know, something that, that was tested in quite a lot of detail was around the, the acquisition costs by different channels and also not just the cost of acquiring that user to the point where um, they create an account, but, but actually their lifetime value over a period of time after they'd created an account. So somebody that was acquired through this channel over here at this much cost then goes on to spend, 10, let's say, 10 times more than that in the first year, whereas yeah. a high volume of customers that were acquired you know, quite mm. cheaply through a different channel go on to spend yeah. next to nothing. So then... Yeah. Go on. No, I was just going to say... Um, um, I'm just interested because on, on the Segmentify side, it's exactly the same as that, actually. Because what, what you're effectively doing is providing a service for the customers. And you have to make sure that you protect the fact that you can provide that service by getting the right customers, right? It, would you say that that's the same, right, on your side of the fence? In absolutely, terms of, absolutely right, right. critical. And it's funny, actually, over the last kind of two or three years, you've suddenly started to see quite a lot in the, you know, in the kind of the trade presses and so on talking about, yeah, how much cheaper it is to to retain a customer than acquire one. Yeah, and absolutely. If I go back to you know 2013, 2014, you know, nobody knew that at the time. The, the the objective was just get loads and loads of customers, and you know we can say we've yeah. got millions of customers and blah blah blah. But then you think, well, hang on a minute, we've got millions of customers, but hardly any of them actually spend any money. And no matter yeah. how many times I send them an email or I do this to try and contact them, yeah. they still don't spend any money. So bringing it right the way back to where did they come from in the first place? And, and then identifying which is the right channel to acquire that customer yeah, and shift your marketing right. budget into that channel to get more good quality people that even if you, your overall number is smaller, at least yeah. the ones you're getting are actually spending money with you. We save like 30% on our marketing acquisition cost mm -hmm. with this mm -hmm. kind of strategy. It's a significant amount of money. And again, yeah. amplified across all of Europe as well. You know, that was a, that was yeah. a huge kind of breakthrough. Yeah. Um, well, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, I mean, because I, I, I don't obviously live in your world, but there's so much similarity, actually. We're both businesses. I, I think I said to other people as well, you know, we are all kind of making revenue at the end of the day, right? So they're, they're the same end goal, but just slightly different kind of engines, if you like. Yeah, I mean, you, you, know, you want to you want to find ways to push your top line up and keep your bottom line down, you know, and this is exactly what, what this achieved yeah. for us in terms of that yeah. new customer yeah. pipeline. The, yeah. I guess the, the, the natural kind of progression from that is, you know, when yeah. that when that then that person then becomes what we would call an existing customer is how yeah. do you then kind of keep them coming back and keep them regular? So absolutely critical to get them transacting in the first place within yeah. X period of days. And this, you know, this could vary by different industry, mm -hmm. how many days you're talking about, but within X, X number of hours or days to get that mm -hmm. customer to transact then at what mm. stage do you want them to come and make their second transaction? So, I mean, if you're buying, I don't know, a bed, then you're not going to come yeah. back next week and buy another bed. No. In this case, you're buying a, you know, a movie, and yeah. then the following week, another great big movie comes out, or the following month, another big yeah. one comes out. A business yeah. like that, which has such a fast turnover of product, wants mm. you to keep coming back and coming back. So something that was, yeah. that was you know, a particular responsibility of mine then was how mm. to get more of, more of those existing customers to, to continue to transact. So here yeah. is very much looking at segmentation in, in the CRM strategy, uh, you yeah. know, personalized communications out to people and, and understanding that, you know, you've got this particular type of customer over here that maybe they only ever um, buy a movie on payday and it's always a horror movie, let's say. But then you've got yeah. the other group of customers over here 
that have a, a, a trend of they buy, they tend to buy family movies on a weekend and in school holidays, but they're buying, you know, Deadpool on a Wednesday night. And then you think, okay, well, now this is a family. So I'm going to create a segment of family users. And when, yeah. when I contact them, whether it be on a weekend or on a weekday, I, I know what they're going to want to watch. And that, yeah. that's a, a really great way. You know, we managed to increase yeah. the activity rates by around 40% yeah. by the time yeah. we really refine this segmentation strategy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, when you said um, send them, you know, con- content or con- contact, should I say, was that, are you talking about email at that point? It was primarily email, yeah. That we, 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 there was a little bit of um, push notifications going on as well, uh, yeah. mainly uh, kind of phone-based push notifications or smartphone-based with oh, yeah. a, a little bit of testing on kind of on-platform stuff. But for the on-platform yeah. stuff, uh, obviously yeah. a customer's got to go to the platform to see the notification, whereas you know, yeah. by by an email or a, a kind of smartphone push notification, you're actually, mm-hmm. you know, kind of getting in their face a little bit more and letting them know that you're there. Yeah, no, that's right. I mean, interesting to talk about push and and with them um, with Segmentify, you know, I've mentioned this before, but um, the ability to, we were talking earlier about non-ID customers and, and obviously users. And uh, we found basically by bringing in um, the push notification side of the segment, Segmentify's platform, that we're able to drive an extra one percent of revenue to every single one of our customers, which is a brand new revenue stream. Because through the browser, by enabling push notification, you can obviously bypass the browser and you can actually target the desktop directly. Yeah. Um, and uh, and so that was a great way of contacting people that you would no way be able to understand who they were. But yeah. actually, this time you've now got personalized data on behavior, followed up with a campaign through push notifications straight to desktop, as well as email. So all of a sudden, you're, you're driving extra revenue that you you never had. But so, it's really smooth, isn't it, as well, really, from, yeah. from the customer's point of view. Say, so, okay, look, you know, this, these, these guys really get me. You know, they, they, they have a consistent voice through any way yeah. in which they're trying to communicate with me. Yeah. When I go to their platform, then again, I've, I've still got that consistency there. Of, you know, we, we emailed you about this product and you come to our page and funnily enough, that product is front and center on the page i haven't got to go looking for it i think that's a that's a great customer experience from from end to end definitely yeah and you also mentioned stuff about cyclical products and that's a big thing for you know more kind of bespoke or customizable platforms like segmentify where you know if you're a supplements company or like you said you're you're in beds or you're in events or or travel or whatever that you need an engine that's going to be able to say this is a particular set of products or this category and subcategory is going to be bought you know, every three months or something. So if I've just bought a massive, you know, keg of protein powder, which I hate to add, I don't look inside my <laughs> muscles, um, then, you know, you're not going to want to put that in front of the same person um, within three, six months, Yeah, you know, and, and therefore making sure that you've got an engine that can do that in the most efficient way so that you're not having to try and manually curate that and you get on with the other stuff you've got to do, Absolutely. knowing that you're maximizing the experience in that part of the journey for that user, you know. Exactly, and, and as much as possible on, on a one-to-one basis. I mean, you know, perhaps that's yeah. the, the sort of end goal rather than the first objective for a lot of companies that haven't already started doing these kind of things. But certainly yeah. from an end goal point of view, that that you know, that's that really adds value to the experience. And, you know, that, again, that customer is going to be very happy and think, I haven't been bombarded with messages that aren't relevant to me. Yeah. And when is the right time to be contacted? I've been contacted with a relevant yeah. message, product, promotion, whatever it might be. Right. So yeah. thank you very much for yeah. prompting me to do that. 
That's it. It's all about those sort of multiple relevant sort of seven touch point, isn't it? Before you start registering. I think I remember from years ago, somebody told me about seven, seven touch points to, you know, start remembering something. Yeah. Um, but, but anyway, just um, besides data, what other tips would you give our listeners in terms of um, growing an e-commerce business? So I think um, I, I would probably start as I, I always tend to start with the customer first. So, you know, who who is your customer? Why would they come to you over coming to anybody else? Because there aren't very many product yeah. categories left that aren't super competitive yeah. these days. So, you know, even even if you're a startup, the likelihood yeah. is that there's similar types of products, um, yeah. you know, not always, but similar. And in most yeah. other businesses, certainly businesses that, it, that in today's world are suddenly having to transition into 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 having a direct consumer platform from a legacy you know high street type place i think really really making sure that before you start spending any money or doing anything else is really know who your customer is you know where you're going to find them what interests them what other things do they do who influences them and then start to build your proposition around uh around that because if you if you start to do it you know for someone else's customer or for somebody that really isn't going to be interested in you then, then again, you're wasting time and money and, and all kinds of things, and you're probably going to fail. So, I think that I would always kind of start there. I think with the, with knowing your customer. Did you do that with um, Fantastic, for example? I mean, can you remember still a boiled down differentiator? I'd love to hear it myself. Do, do you remember anything from the companies that you worked for where you had that statement, almost like an elevator pitch for a particular brand that you're working for? Yeah, I think with with um, you know when I when I joined Fantastic in Australia, that was definitely the kind of the the day one um, in the sort yeah. of strategy book, you know, to say yeah. because in this case, um, although the direct to consumer channel was brand new, the business yeah. had actually been trading as a B two B customer, for, you know, for like twenty years, so they did yeah. know they did know their markets very well. And then within that, so, okay, well, give me all of this data then, because this is this is the Australian market which I'd never worked at before, so you know. <laughs> different different to the european market different to any other market i'd worked in so okay, tell me all about you know who are the customers and who buys what in this kind of area and then knowing at that stage that e-commerce in australia was not very well developed in terms of as a comparison to say western yeah. europe and north america and so on so okay well of this of the e-commerce stuff these guys are doing already what do they do you know what, what websites do they go on what kind of products sell well and then it was very much a case of building the the product portfolio and the platforms to suit what those customers were going to were going to want to um you know buy through online that they weren't going to buy through um through a big let's say a big department store so for example some of the kind of cheap and cheerful type uh toy products very very hard to sell online when they come in assortments but very easy to sell a checkout in a you know in a target or a kmart as it was down there when you're looking at one of the other product ranges we had was um electric scooters which are suddenly you know hundreds if not a thousand dollars for some of the really really high-end electric scooters now you're going to struggle to find those in any of the uh, the kind of retail outlets so that was a really really great opportunity for online so therefore the platform that, that that i was kind of in charge of was then around optimizing this and you know you can find information on some of those other products but actually what i think you're really here to buy is this product over here uh, and that worked really really well you know phenomenally growth in terms of um conversion rates I maybe mean, you know, we had a, around a 70 percent increase in conversion rate through re-merchandising uh, yeah. one of the one of the owned websites i mean 70 percent that's phenomenal you know so it's not a that's not so an increase you, change. that's a huge step 
so did you in order to do that then did you have to focus the entire operation in terms of the acquisition of that customer to then be relevant when they hit the website so do you have to do an digital marketing to landing page to conversion type journey yeah i mean we definitely definitely had to manage it in terms of all of the paid media and the paid channels that because you know there wasn't really a uh because there was no direct consumer business there was no real paid media um specialists in the business either so for sure everything that was in going into any kind of paid digital channel um was refined around that clear message but the other thing as well was was seo because again the, the websites had not been built by there, there basically had been a, a, an external agency that had had a crack at building these websites, but they weren't really focused on these things. So looking at our organic traffic that was coming in, it didn't exist really. So thinking, okay, well, I, I need organic traffic, of course, and I think they're going to come to buy these kind of products. So let's let's redo the platform, the copy, the images, everything to do with SEO to attract yeah. this type of customer and come out yeah. in the first search result you know, to, to generate that organic traffic. And in the meantime, let's, you know, let's buy a bit of traffic until we get there. Yeah, yeah. No, that is brilliant. Well, I mean, any other sort of final thoughts on on those parts about other yeah. tips? Any I mean, other? yeah, I mean, I think, especially to any kind of growing business, I think your brand values, and, and this is certainly true in today's yeah. world, you know, what, what does your brand stand for? Because yeah. again, customers have, have the right to be very fickle online. And they can, yeah. you know, as I said before, they can most likely buy either the same product or a very similar one from somebody else. So, yeah. you know, you have to really be clear about about your your brand values and, and what is it you stand for, what is your kind of mission. And I, I you know, since yeah. especially over the last couple of months, people are migrating much more towards businesses that are very, very loud about talking about their, their these kind of things. I think what I would also say as well, especially from a, from my experience of fast growth businesses, is you know, you you have your headline strategy and your mission. But you've got to be prepared to change that uh, yeah. fairly regularly based on the way things actually pan out. And if I, I pull back to example at, at Rakuten yeah. here, you know, there was yeah. a there was the overall company mission, but there, there was an annual company strategy in place that used to get reviewed every quarter. Um, and it could be changed quite drastically depending on what kind of gold nuggets had been unearthed yeah. in the in the in the previous quarter that you'd worked. So I think that agility and, and flexibility yeah. has to be has to be really um, embraced and not, yeah. you know, not kind of suppressed. Yeah. Give, give us an example, though, of, for me, you know, more than anything, I mean, what would be an example of some brand values and a mission in your world? Because that's what we do every day as well. You know, we're constantly thinking that, like, you have to be agile. But give, give me a real-world example. I think in ter- so give an example of, of something like um, sustainability. You know, this is something actually very right. close to my heart, and I do a lot of, voluntary work locally on with with kind of uh, environmental stuff so for me um i'm really drawn towards brands that that talk about you know what are they doing to to either reduce their carbon footprint or what are they doing to minimize waste what are they doing to support their supply chain to be more sustainable so i you know i feel there's a a lot a lot of people like me nowadays that you know have been influenced over the last few years you know from the tv shows and so on that that expose these things to us And you yeah. want to feel as yeah. a consumer that you're yeah. putting your money towards those kind of missions. And, and again, I, there could be a competitive business that actually does the same thing, but they don't tell anyone about it. So yeah. I'm not going to spend yeah. money with them. I'm going to go yeah. to the ones that do. Yeah. It's very interesting you say that because I just, I literally just bought some Gumbies, right? Those, um, those sort of um, flip-flops. Yeah. But um, there was a few things that, that, I, that I kind of almost subconsciously realized 
that when you just mentioned that, it just so happens that Gumby's do stand quite strongly for environmental um, things, right? Now, I'll be honest, I wasn't seeking that out, but it was nice to know. And it was very clear on their website that they use recycled rubber or rubbish or plastic or whatever it is, I can't remember, but the point is it's environmentally friendly. I also noticed that the website was clean. It was really well put together. The pictures were brilliant. The user experience was very, very good. Yeah. And this is an interesting piece, right? Now, what stopped me from going to Amazon and going to get them, right? This is the other bits of, of, of uh, marginal gain, which obviously as a completely nonchalant customer, I got bagged by Gumby's Direct. And that was because those things you've just mentioned were in place. The experience was great. As I went off, and I know everybody knows this, right? But I went off the website and immediately I got a 10% discount. Now, yeah. I don't try and look for that, but that happened, right? Yeah, yeah. Real life. I thought, well, hold on a minute. Went back to Amazon, see that I could get it cheaper from Gumby's, free delivery, great experience. The brand was looking nice. I completely trust the website, such the point that I didn't care about going to Amazon right, yeah. anymore. And Bosch, I bought them and I got them within, I mean, during COVID, I got them within three days. My, my, my other half, Michelle, she was like, those things come already. Yeah, perfectly acceptable time frame, isn't, isn't it? You don't, yeah. you don't need everything tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, but you've just you've just captured almost for me as a subconscious kind of buyer this blue sky scenario where you've just nailed it, and you've now got Phil K as a Gumby's customer for life. I'll never yeah. go anywhere else. I'll go back to Gumby's for my next pair. And I'll, I'll be honest, the ones I had are, are stuck together with with Sellotape, right? From my brother's engineering company. And <laughs> Michelle was like, "You you can't wear them anymore, Phil. Right? If you go to, if we go camping, no." I'm sorry, you ain't coming. <laughs> so I had to get new ones. But, I, you know, uh, the point is, uh, as I think you've said, it, I, I, it's almost dawning on me talking to guys like you that this is, this is real. And this is like I'm on the receiving end of, the, of what the kind of almost like the, ut- the utopia is of getting customers kind of like me who are bought into a brand and ain't yeah. going to go anywhere else. And I think I, so I would just add on top of that as well is that, yeah. you know, customers would be prepared to pay a little bit more money to have such a great experience as what you've had. You know, there, yeah. there are other websites, you know, marketplace type websites where you might be able to yeah. buy that a little bit cheaper and you might be yeah. able to get it a day quicker. But, uh, you know, yeah. it sounds like you, you and I have the same kind of attitude to say, well, actually, these guys over here are working really hard for me. And they're, you know, mm. they're trying, they, their brand is great. Their, their experience is great. They're talking mm. to me in the way that I like to be talked to. So I'm going to stick mm. with these guys over here because actually yeah. I've, I've really yeah. enjoyed that experience. Yeah. But I mean, you, you mentioned that and I do agree with you in, in the most part, but I'll be honest, right? I'm talking from a consumer's perspective to an e-commerce director, right? Which is a great standoff. I'm saying to you that, you know what? If I manage to be able to get those, those flip-flops, right? Three, four quid cheaper off Amazon, I'd do it, right? Even though they've provided me a great experience. So what I'm, what I'm thinking is there must be a way, like in this situation, that you take, as a, as a brand, you take a leadership exp- uh, approach on this. You say, well, I'm not going to get undercut by Amazon. I'm not going to sort of, you know, I'm not going to, excuse my French, drop my pants for that marketplace and, and, and try and get volume through it or whatever it is. I'm going to stick to my guns. And there are, I don't know if you can do this, but you only sell at the same price as I'm going to sell off my website direct. You ain't getting no other privileges. Or does Amazon turn around and go, no, if you're going to sell on my platform, you've got to, you've got to do it cheaper? No, I mean, it's, Amazon's got different kind of models, basically. If you, if you go down the, the vent, what they call the vendor model, where you're, they buy the stock from you and they're in full control yeah. over the pricing and everything else that happens to your product. But if you, yeah. if you, if you, if you are the seller yourself, then you yeah. can set whatever product, uh, whatever price that you want. They, they, yeah. they, they obviously try to, or through their 
algorithms try to encourage you to try and be cheapest because there are things like how can you win the buy button you know how can yeah. you come out in the in the yeah, search yeah. results and price is yeah. a big factor of that yeah. but sure. again i hands-on experience of this in the australian market when there yeah. were other importers selling the same branded products from outside of australia um yeah. and cheaper but it but from my point of view it actually didn't make sense for me to undercut my own website where I was making less margin yeah. anyway. But that's kind of what I mean. But we obviously see that. So from my layman's kind of, you know, observational point of view from the other side of the fence, I'm thinking, yeah, you might get volume through Amazon, but you might not keep your long-term brand quality, if you like. Yeah. And so if Gumby's, Gumby's have nailed it because I can't get them cheaper off Amazon, right? Um, I, don't get, I don't have to pay any delivery off Gumby's website. They give me a discount if I leave. Bang, they've got me. And I'll go back there because I know that it's a great experience. I've got them really quick and they're going to be either comparable or cheaper than anywhere else. That to yeah. me sounds like a wicked combination. Yeah. And I think, I mean, if you look at, look at really massive scale example of this is the, the Nike example in, in the States with Amazon. You know, they've actually right. withdrawn their relationship with yeah. Amazon completely because they felt that the brand experience for, for yeah. such a big brand that they are wasn't good enough. So they've actually completely walked away from that relationship, which is a, a huge step. But I think also if, if I'm a small, medium-sized business thinking, well, hang on a minute, you know, how does that interpret into my world? Actually, could I be doing something better? Um, yeah. And obviously you have, to look at, you have to look at the economics of it for, for each yeah. business one case at a time. Yeah. But it's certainly a, a brave yeah. move. And I think, you know, yeah. a, a, you know, other customers might tr start to transition away. I mean, you've given your example there that, yeah. you know, depending on how loyal you are to that brand if you just want a new pair of shoes for the summer then okay yeah. you, you could go to amazon and there'll be thousands of options you could buy yeah. there but if yeah. you really like those ones and they were what you wanted they gave you a good experience and blah 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 you think actually yeah. i'm just going to stick to their own website now maybe they'll chuck me a deal and maybe they'll give yeah. me an exclusive promotion or whatever and yeah, I'm, exactly. I'm winning yeah. that way because i because i wasn't I, yeah you're right i mean i'm talking about when you talked about brand values and mission we're not talking about I suppose flogging something that you know any old guy could flog. And I'm not not disrespecting businesses like that, but where you are a brand, you want to try and protect that. The same as Segmentify needs to protect its pricing structure. For example, you know it has a it has a solution which provides fantastic results. It costs money to bring that customer on and look after them in the right way. So we can't afford to do it then for any less than a certain amount of money. The same as obviously must be and is as you said. The same for you guys selling products or, or, or you know, manufactured goods, whatever it might be. So that's got to be protected. So I wonder if there's going to be, and this may already be in place because what do I know, right? But I mean, I'm assuming that, that there must be a place for where more and more brands just won't work with Amazon because they're more confident that they can say, do you know what? I'm going to stick to my guns. I'm not going to get kind of screwed down by a platform like that. And I'm going to, push for the long-term gain of maintaining and building my brand presence and my pricing and all of the other bottom line and cash flow that I need to run this business effectively. And yeah, I, I, th I think I think the current situation as well it will actually accelerate that happening because right. obviously businesses before, you know, I speak to a lot of people and they say, uh, you know, they, they've got a, a kind of a traditional sort of high street type business model and they think, yeah, but, yeah. you know, we are online. We do. We've got our own website and we've got with somebody manages some stuff on Amazon for us. And, you know, it trickles in a little bit of money and blah, blah, blah. But it's not yeah. really core to their strategy. It's just a, you know, it's just a kind of a, yeah, we need to do that. So we're going to we're going to do it in a in a sort of a low level way. I think yeah. now, obviously, 
the big sort of slap in the face who's saying, okay, now, you know, that's the only way you're actually making money at the minute. But also for the next, I don't know, year or two before people really start to get back to that kind of going to the high street um, behavior, you've got to take this really, really seriously. And, and, you know, just chucking your stuff up on Amazon or eBay or any other marketplace and, you know, seeing a bit of revenue come through is, is not good enough. You know, that's like a 10 years ago strategy. You know, you've got to be so far ahead of that. The, the thing I would say is that, you know, if, if you if you do have your own branded websites and you want to go down that path, that, which is which is great, but you've got yeah. to think about where's your traffic going to come from? You know, the advantage of going to places like, uh, I keep mentioning Amazon all the time, but other kind of aggregator type marketplaces is that they bring the traffic and then you yeah. find in amongst that traffic. And obviously, if you go on your own website, you've got to think, okay, well, you know, how much is it going to cost me to to bring in the right amount of traffic to generate the right amount of sales? So it's very much a kind of a balancing act and in no way saying jump in with two feet and go and do it. You've got mm-hmm. to really, really think about it and understand it and yeah. do the economics of it. But from that a transitional point of view, as you were saying, yeah. I, I sense that that trend will happen a lot over the next 12 months. Yeah, I, I agree. And it's weird because I've been thinking about this, just having these chats, actually. And, and it's just funny that it's come to it's come to the fore now in, in this chat where we were kind of indicating it in previous episodes but actually we've 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 taken it by the scruff of the neck now because i was having a gut instinct on that an intuition that's saying like surely like this could even go full circle where amazon has gone through a season of just hoovering up so much and i wonder if there'll be you know like there's everything seems to be cyclical right like we saw flares in the 1970s and you know now i can't believe it and i and i hate to say it but we're seeing them again right um but like, I wonder if this engine, this monster, if you call it another word, right, um, will end up kind of changing in the sense that there'll be almost like a revolt where it, it won't be able to hoover up anymore. And all of the, like, the volume of the brands out there will start to fight back against Amazon in a way, you know? Yeah, I think so. I mean, if you look back over the sort of the 20 years or so that, that Amazon has been growing, I come back to my point earlier on about data, you know, that was really yeah. what what set yeah. them apart from everyone else about how amazingly brilliant they've been. The program was saying, the program he was on, Jeff Bezos or whatever his surname is, when he was talking about it's all about data, there's nothing else that their business runs on apart from data. Exactly. And, like, and that. And that's yeah. every, everything they've built there. Because I, I always say this to a lot of people. If you, you know, Amazon is very, very functional. It's, you know, it's kind of cheap yeah. and efficient and those kind of things. Yeah. But how many people would honestly say they really enjoyed the experience of shopping on there? So, yes, oh, no. okay, you could say I enjoyed it because it was quick and I only had to press a couple of buttons to get what I wanted. But you didn't really enjoy the actual shopping experience. And if we're trying yeah. to say, you know, people that are migrating from a, uh, an in-store shopping experience to an online one still want some sort of level of you know come back to brand values and personalization and these kind of things and yeah. and i think the the you know one of the things that amazon's been so good at is that they've never stood still you know this every day's day one is what is what bezos says um because if you yeah. stand still then someone else is going to come and race past yeah. you yeah. Uh, and you see you know I, I look at um say netflix as an example you know Two, yeah. three years ago, you couldn't see anybody yeah. touching Netflix except maybe yeah. Amazon. Now, yeah. suddenly, you've got yeah. this, you know, the yeah. Disney Plus, and, you, and if you're looking at the, the market in America, HBO, loads yeah. of different services now launching. Yeah. And Netflix thinking, crikey, actually, you know, we've, we've totally dominated this video streaming market. Yeah. But now all the really big players have, have kind of sensed the opportunity yeah. they're coming for us. So oh, I think yeah. that translates yeah. to Amazon. We'll see. Yeah, completely. Well, listen, we've, um, We've we've gone on for quite a while. It's been a really brilliant chat, um, and maybe um, maybe we can just like finish off with um, 
like one key takeaway? What do you think you'd love the guys to hold from, from this chat? I think uh, having a really, really clear commercial focus, I, I don't apologize for saying data again, <laughs> you know, really, yeah. really understand that data because if yeah. you don't, then you're going to be scratching your head as to why something didn't work. So in your yeah. marketing, in your customer lifetime value, in your conversion rates, in your user funnels, you know, get that yeah. data and really, really kind of understand it. Have the, yeah. the tools and the talent, you know, to work with that data and be, yeah. be kind of agile enough to change your strategy if you need to based on what, what you learn. Brilliant, brilliant. And, and just, I, I forgot to ask, say actually, um, how, how would you love guys to um, contact you if they're interested in talking to you a bit more about this stuff? Uh, connect with me on LinkedIn. I'm on LinkedIn every day, you know, I'm looking on there. So yeah, by all means, if you know, somebody wants a chat or some advice or to just throw some ideas around, just connect with me on there. Simon Homan, pretty easy to find because hardly any people have my surname. So <laughs> look me up on there and, and I'll be happy to have a chat. Excellent. Well, um, thank you so much. I really enjoyed that chat. Likewise. And, um, yeah. Thanks for having me on. And yeah, no, Not at all. Not at all. And, and thanks to listeners to, uh, to listening as well. It just remains me to say that if you haven't done so already, please do register on segmentify.com forward slash podcast, because then you will get hold of all the new podcasts as we announce them and publish them. And of course, Simon's and all the other um, episodes in the first and second um, series uh, are put onto that uh, site. And of course, you can get hold of them on YouTube and all the other channels, Spotify, Apple, and so on. Um, also, I would say that if you would love to be involved or you have any questions about the series or any topics you want us to um, bring to the table and, uh, and discuss, please do email me anytime, phil at segmentify.com. And um, yeah, just have a, a wonderful day. And thanks again to Simon. And um, we look forward to speaking to you all again very soon. Put us to the test and let us prove we can drive more revenue for you. Sign up for a completely free proof of concept or split test against your current provider. Set up and optimized by our team within a few days at segmentify.com slash demo.